0: This is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made For This podcast.
1: Thanks to HelloFresh for supporting Made For This. Go to hellofresh.com slash madeforthis16 and use code This 16 for up to 16 free meals and 3 free gifts.
0: We are just two weeks away from find your people being everywhere in stores and delivered to your mailboxes if you ordered it online. And I cannot wait, I'm so excited about it. And today I thought a good little bridge would be to share with you the chapter that I wrote for Get Out of Your Head. Now, as I've told you before, I've known for years, even prior to Get Out of Your Head, I would write this book and I knew there was a drastic shift needed in the way that we do community and live life together. So my hope is this is a picture of maybe my first thoughts about why this matters so much. There is no greater weapon for us to fight the darkness all around us than each other. The Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the people of God are the weapons I talk about in Guya that can absolutely shift our minds. And it's the greatest issue of our day, is the anxiety and the depression and the suicidal thoughts that are plaguing everyone we know. And so I hope you enjoy this. I hope it serves as a bridge between Get Out of Your Head, if you've already read that, and Find Your People, which is coming soon, because my hope is that I'm putting tools in your hands that show you God and cause you to love Him and each other more. Chapter 9 Lifelines. I choose to be known. You may be thinking, people just aren't drawn to me. If people knew how badly I had screwed up, they would run. I'm not really a people person. I've always been kind of a loner, and I like it that way. People don't care about what I'm going through. Nobody really gets me. People don't need to hear about my problems. Just before Zach and I adopted Cooper, our son, who spent the first four years of his life at an orphanage in the hills of Rwanda, we went through adoption training. It wasn't called that exactly, but that's what it was. We had never adopted a child, so we eagerly drank in every lecture, compelled to get this right. All these years later, most of what I gleaned during those classes has faded from my memory. But one lesson wound itself around my heart so tightly. That I imagine I will remember it forever. The lesson was this If you want your child to thrive, then make him or her feel seen and loved. Feeling seen and loved, this is absolutely everything the foundation and framework from which we build and thrive. When it's missing, everything around us seems to crumble into pointlessness and despair. As counselor and author Larry Crabb wrote, no lie is more often believed than the lie that we can know God without someone else knowing us. We were built to be seen and loved. When I was planning this book, dreaming about the impact it would have, I remember telling a friend of mine, who is super into all things neurology, about my vision for all of America to shift their minds. For masses on masses of people to realize it really is possible to take their thoughts captive. For the whole wide world to finally start tearing down strongholds and more. I was so passionate in my vision casting that I fumbled my words. My friend listened patiently, and when I eventually took a breath, she said, you know, Jenny, nobody changes anything all alone with a book. Ah, gut punch. Of course, my friend was right. We can't curl up on our couches, read the pages of a book, pray, and simply will our minds to change. God is concerned not only with the posture of our hearts, but also with the people on each of our arms. In terms of fulfilling our mission in this life, we can't do anything worthwhile alone. God himself exists in community. The Trinity, relating as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. Perfect community. Since God himself lives in community, he formed us to need community too. The Apostle Paul also gave many instructions regarding how we are to behave toward one another. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Live in harmony with one another. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. I've noticed that the idea of living in community is yet one more instruction that we tend to regard as a suggestion. We may take a stab at it, but when things get tough, we push it aside. Community is an essential. We find ourselves in a generation that has made an idol out of the very thing God is calling us away from, independence. The entirety of Scripture assumes community as a given in the life of a God follower. In the Old Testament, community develops within a people group, while in the New Testament, it develops within local churches. We are village people built to be known, loved, and seen. Nearly every people group in every generation has gathered around fires in communities that accomplish this, even if it's imperfect. Even today, much of the world lives in villages. Recently, my husband and I were in a small village in Europe and visited a grocer. The man at the counter wanted to know who we were and where we were from because he knows everyone who comes into his store. We were outsiders. I wonder whether we, as the church, as Americans, as women, still view ourselves as village people, those who are known, noticed, loved, and seen. I think I know the answer. I think the answer is no. The temptation to go it alone. The first enemy, Distraction keeps us from seeking help from God for the chaos in our heads. The second enemy, shame, keeps us from pulling others in to help. I didn't mean to isolate myself. In the spiral of doubt for 18 months, I just never got around to expressing aloud what I was going through. My friend Kurt Thompson, a psychiatrist and brilliant thinker on everything related to the brain, says that no matter how strong someone looks on the outside, Every person walking the planet has this deeply embedded fear that haunts them day by day. If anyone really knew you, the fear whispers, they'd leave you. This is the lie of shame. This is the lie that shatters your self-worth, the lie that reminds you over and over of the real you that you don't want others to see. I don't know the exact words this fear uses to get to you, but if you're anything like the countless women I've spoken with over the years, then the terrorizing taunts probably sound something like this. If people knew what I've done, they'd want nothing to do with me. If people saw who I really am, they'd run the other way. If people knew the thoughts I'm capable of thinking, they'd evict me from their lives. Or maybe the voice of fear is more subtle. Why would I bother people with my problems? I can handle this. What good will it do if I let someone in anyway? When we listen to the lies about our worth, we naturally back away from others. In many cases, our distancing behavior succeeds in pushing people away, reinforcing our fear of rejection. This is a classic mind trap, a self-fulfilling thought pattern in which our insecurity feeds our isolation, which in turn feeds the lie that we are worthless and nobody really gets us or cares to. We feel unseen and unloved, and to protect ourselves from further rejection, we won't let anyone close enough to change our perception. Gradually, we embrace the lie that we have to do life on our own, that we must isolate ourselves to avoid risking exposure and rejection. The truth, however, is that we are designed in the image of a holy God who embodies community and invites us into his family. We are created for community. The lie, I can solve my own problems. The truth is, God made me to live known and loved. 1 John 1.7 If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. I choose to be known. Imagine once again the spiral we discussed earlier, this time beginning with the emotion of shame. That loops to the thought, I can solve my own problems that spirals to the behavior of building walls. That results in becoming isolated, and the consequence is loneliness. But we have a choice. On the other side of the shame loop, if we start with the consequence of feeling known, our relationships become connected. We build bridges, leading to the thought, God made me to live known and loved. I choose to be known. Hardwired to connect. Our bodies are hardwired for connection with others. Have you ever heard of mirror neurons? When you're sitting across from a friend at coffee, both of your mirror neurons' systems are firing. These neurons are at work when your friend smiles, letting you experience the feeling associated with smiling. Mirror neurons help you feel what the other person is feeling. In this way, empathy is hardly a contrived response, but rather an automatic response our bodies have to each other. One researcher goes so far as to say that there is, in fact, no such thing as nonconformity, writing that the self is more of a superhighway for social influence than it is the impenetrable private fortress we believe it to be. And while you and I recognize many of the ways interpersonal connection has influenced us from infancy to this moment, One licensed counselor called early caregiver responses brain food for the developing mind. What may not be as obvious are the ways that disconnection also alters our brain. The part of your brain that activates when you feel rejected or uninvited by a friend is the same part of your brain that fires when you're in physical pain. Maybe this is why breakups and severed friendships literally hurt. When you and I isolate, we switch into self-preservation mode. We may respond more harshly to a friend who says the wrong thing at the wrong time or get defensive when a coworker gently critiques our project. Loneliness can make us think that everything is a threat, even if there is no real threat to be found. Loneliness has been linked to heart disease and depression, chronic stress, and poor sleep. If we want to approach life fully in the way that Jesus himself modeled then we will do life together instead of choosing to go it alone. We weren't made to celebrate victory alone. We weren't made to suffer hardship alone. We weren't made to walk through the dailiness of life alone. We weren't made to be alone with our thoughts. Are you as happy as I am about the last one? What a terrifying place our minds can be. We were made to reach out, to connect, to stay tethered. We were made to live together in the light. The Apostle Paul beautifully described this way of living. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He gave us clear direction on what this looks like in our interactions. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's a lot of togetherness, right? Several of my friends are counselors or therapists, and they all have confirmed the same thing. The prevalence of group therapy is on the rise because it works even when little else does. It's not just comforting to have someone else in our corner, it's scientifically proven to heal. While studying the effects of stress on female behavior, UCLA researchers found that women seek out more social support during times of stress than men do. Other research has shown that having a strong social network can help people stay healthy. Yep, a tribe, a posse, a squad changes us even physically. We were built by communal God for community. We need this. We need this, friend. Better together. God purposely places us in community so that our friends can help us in the battle for our thought lives. When our mind maps are chaotic, our thoughts are spiraling, and our emotions are running the show, so often our escape plan involves simply reaching out, just whispering that little word, help. You and I need to be able to seek out wisdom and insight when our own brains can't sort out the answers, can't muster the willpower, can't find the strength, and can't remember how to pray. Relationships like that take time, effort, and energy to cultivate, but they shift everything. I can look back over the course of my life and see how my closest girlfriends at each age and stage protected me from lesser dreams. My darling baby sisters, my grade school recess buddies, my high school friends the other cheerleaders at arkansas the girls who came to my first bible studies my austin people my church small group in dallas each community has shaped me helped me feel known made me run further and faster than i thought i could hopefully i've done the same for them yes we've fought yes we've grown apart yes we've hurt one another at times this is all part of the deal but the strongest bonds get forged through difficulty It's true that choosing community over isolation can be downright scary. It requires us to take a risk. Researcher and author Brene Brown said vulnerability is the core, the heart, the center of meaningful human experiences. Or put another way, we must be known in order to be healthy. Isn't that a profound perspective? Tell me the people who know you and how deep that knowledge runs, and I will tell you how healthy you are. Ugh. Some people will look at my track record over the years and say, clearly, you've got nothing to worry about. You've always let people in. Maybe. But I have to tell you, when our family recently moved to Dallas after living for 10 years in Austin, building a new and trusted circle was no small concern. How could I make old friends fast? Displacement from a long-standing network of support is a challenge to living in meaningful community, but it's hardly the only one. The more people I encounter, the more valid reasons I hear for why community just isn't for me. I think of a young woman who lives in a town so small that there was outright celebration last year when they got their first traffic light. Jenny, there is nobody for me to connect with, she told me. I'm not sure another woman in her 20s even exists in my hometown. Or how about the women I've met who are full-on introverts? For them, signing up for this community thing sounds like a stressful and exhausting proposition. I understand that maybe you've suffered a painful betrayal or more than one, and that keeps you from engaging now. You've risked trusting someone with your struggle, and that decision has come back to bite you in the rear. Not doing that again, you say, and I get it. Then there's the matter of upkeep. Once you do share your struggles with another person, you feel obligated to keep that person apprised of any progress or setbacks you face. And here's another thing, We can't control how people will respond once we've let them in on our struggles. They might say something insensitive. They might minimize the depth of our pain. They might paste on a smile and quote scripture at us. They might do all these things on the same day. To these and a thousand other pushbacks, I have only one response. You're right. You're right. You are. But every valuable relationship in my life is one I have had to fight for. People can be jerks and flighty, inconsiderate and self-centered and forgetful. I know this because I am a person and I've been all these things at some point. Also true, you are a person too. So instead of letting the enemy hold us captive in isolation, let's remind ourselves of this truth. I have a choice. I can remember that the spirit of God lives inside of me and he will walk with me as I reach out to others who are just as human and just as in need of connection and grace as I am.
1: Okay, I'm serious, guys. HelloFresh is the absolute best thing. And we love talking about it because we actually use it and love it. And it's so fun to cook with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Go to HelloFresh.com slash MadeForThis16 and use code MadeForThis16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Y'all, HelloFresh is like like having like a little kitchen elf that helps you put together meals and you don't even have to think about it. You can actually enjoy it because you're not like wondering what ingredients you have in the pantry. Like HelloFresh has made cooking truly more fun and it's meals that my family loves. What's really great in their app, you can customize your favorite dishes with their new Hello Custom offering. So you can switch out proteins or sides for different ones, and you can even add protein to a veggie meal. So that means more choices, more variety, and more meals that are truly tailored to your family. Oh, don't these sound so good? These limited time recipes are inspired by cozy classics like beef tenderloin and cheese fondue, miso sesame shrimp, and ramen. I mean, It's stuff that like I would never cook on my own. I'd just make spaghetti, but HelloFresh delivers all the pre-portioned ingredients to your door, including farm fresh produce that arrives within a week. So you get all the convenience, but amazing quality food. HelloFresh is 72% cheaper than a restaurant meal of the same quality. And you can save on average over $65 a month when you order HelloFresh instead of grocery shopping. They're easy to make, quick cleanup, and they offer flexibility, so if you need to do just two meals this week, you can just do two. Or maybe you don't want any next week because you're going out of town. Like you can pick any plan size, all your food preferences. You can change your delivery day. HelloFresh really will work for you in your lifestyle. So go to hellofresh.com/madeforthis16 and use code madeforthis16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. And now back to Jenny. When I started If
0: Gathering, a misunderstanding ensued regarding my ministry motivations and gained a lot of attention on social media. Many women I admire and strive to emulate took offense, believing that I really did have malicious intent. It felt as if battle lines quickly got drawn dividing all my heroes and me. It was a humbling, sobering experience that left me staggering in disbelief. Not knowing what else to do, I began placing phone calls to each of these women. I apologize for my part in the misunderstanding. I requested wisdom regarding how to make things right going forward. I bless them for their influence on my life. Thankfully, not only did they each take my call, but they worked toward unity too. We sorted out a way forward, and I count them as some of my dearest friends still today. But following that experience, I was skittish relationally. I was afraid of saying or doing anything that might leave me ostracized again. But I finally decided I couldn't keep stepping hesitantly into relationships. Nobody can play defense forever. We have to show up with our whole selves. When I come to a moment when I'm staring at the risk of showing up in my friendships, I choose to show up. And then when stuff happens, because it will, we work through it. But you know what? When we are faithful to keep showing up for our lives, those lives make room for us. I met a new friend after the move to Dallas. Ellen is sophisticated and always says the right thing. She files every piece of mail she gets. I don't even open my mail. We had mutual friends who suggested our families join a small group together. I tell her this now, but she was the kind of new friend who is so awesome you feel intimidated around her, though she would never want you to. The first time we met, I remember playing it safe. I thought I'd hold back and feel her out. But the second time, I decided to go for it. I was all of me, opinionated, loud, honest, and passionate. She laughed and started calling more often. She wasn't wanting to be friends with someone just like her. She liked me in all my chaotic glory. Now, plenty of other relational risks I've taken have not turned out that way. But that's how we find our people. Gather your team. As we make this choice to stop trying to do life on our own and instead risk in the context of other real live human beings, we must have two resources at our disposal. Both the awareness to know what we need and the courageous gumption to go out and get it. Here are a few encouragements that may push you out of your comfort zone and help you find your people. Seek out healthy people. Here is Paul's advice on the subject Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. If you want to know who to connect with in community, look for someone whose life shouts those words. Find someone who is following hard after Jesus and then ask that person to coffee. In the past year, I have found that by seeking out healthy people in Dallas, I've been made healthier too. Even the process of looking for whole friendships has ushered in more wholeness for me. Now notice I didn't say to seek out perfect people, whole people, healthy people. Does this potential friend of yours seem to be in touch with her strengths and weaknesses? Is she clear on the values that guide her life? When she feels all the feels, is she able then to kind of rein it in? Is she thriving in other relationships, or does she seem closed off from the world? Do you feel seen and valued when you interact with her? Does she listen well, or is she always turning the conversation back to herself? Is she motivated to grow? Does she seem happy? Is she at peace? Again, nobody is going to get this stuff right 100% of the time, What I'm asking you to look for is a pattern of progress here. When you're looking for intimate friendships, you've got to start with emotionally intelligent friends. And guess what? We have to become those emotionally healthy friends too. If no one ever wants to be friends with you, there might be reasons. Are you growing in health and not bitterness? I am a big fan of counseling because it can disrupt unhealthy patterns that we barely notice in ourselves. Just ask. When you find someone you want to get to know better, just ask whether she'd like to connect. Do you want to get a cup of coffee tomorrow afternoon? Have you ever checked out the hiking trail behind our neighborhood? Do you and your husband like to play board games? Would you like to meet up for dinner before Bible study next week? See how straightforward this is? Several months ago, I realized that despite the level of social intelligence and genuine desire for community, and earnest transparency exhibited by the young women who work with me day in and day out at IF, there were still way too many occasions they weren't comfortable asking for help. During staff meeting one Tuesday, this subject came up, and I took the liberty of asking, how many of you feel awkward asking for help, even when you really, really need some help? Every arm shot up. Wow, girls, I said, for real? We have to address this. We talked for a while about what was making them uncomfortable, and then I issued a collective task. At least one time over the following 24 hours, each of them had to ask for help. Ask for creative input, I told them. Ask for help unloading your car. Ask for an afternoon walk. Ask for advice about a problem. I didn't care what they asked for. I just wanted them to practice asking. Ask until asking no longer makes you cringe. That advice might just save your life someday so I'll repeat it here for you. Ask until asking no longer makes you cringe. Ask and ask and ask. Say yes. Now, I'm someone who regards novelty as oxygen, so this one is easy for me. But even if you're an introverted homebody, you can do this. Every so often, say yes. Only one caveat here. This doesn't mean we open the floodgates to toxic, unhealthy people. We say yes to real, healthy friendships. A few weeks ago, my darling, Austin-based friend, Jessica, reached out to tell me that her birthday was fast approaching and she wanted to spend time together. Will you come, she asked. She is a fantastic asker. Please. Did I mention that her birthday was the following week and that getting together meant traveling three plus hours? Was the timing of this little excursion convenient? It wasn't. Was it worth it? It absolutely was. As I say, I might push the just say yes envelope too far, far too much of the time. But here's the thing to remember. If you never, ever say yes to an invitation, those invitations will cease to exist. Doing life together helps us right our wrong thinking. But we can do life together only if we're actually together from time to time. Yes, I'd love to join you. Yes, I'd be happy to go. Yes, let's set a phone date. If somewhere along the way you've become a decliner, one who declines every invitation that comes your way, then just for today, try a yes. Be all of you, fast. Our spiraling thoughts of isolation threaten to keep us trapped in a place of self-sufficiency and shame. But vulnerability brings those to a screeching halt. So be all of you, right away so that your friends get you, the real you. I can be obnoxious, and I'm the first to admit it. I laugh at inappropriate times, like in court, and at funerals, and during my child's performance of the speech she's worked hard on. Why do I do this? Can somebody tell me why I do this? I ask intense, intrusive questions. I'm forgetful. I interrupt serious moments to ask where you got your cute sweater. I flit around in a conversation like a hummingbird incapable of seeing a subject through to a logical end. And just like with my friend Ellen, relationally, my choices are two. Either I can class it up when I meet new people and pretend to be something I'm not, or I can relish my wholehearted mess of a self with a good bit of self-deprecation and laughter and be at peace, just being me with them. In such brave endeavors, we may scare off the wrong people sooner, but we'll bring in the right people more quickly too. Bother others and let others bother you. As acquaintances deepen and broaden into friendships, the ask can feel tougher. The stakes are higher now. The fear of rejection is a real thing. My counsel is go for broke. When you notice that your friend isn't herself, bug her until she shoots straight. Invite her to tea. Invite her to lunch. Tell her you want to pray for her because you know something is drastically wrong bother her until she feels safe enough to vent. She'll thank you for bothering her someday. Likewise, to experience true community, you've got to be botherable yourself. Take the risk to trust someone with the truth of your life today. Yes, you might get hurt. Yes, you might feel embarrassed. Yes, it might be uncomfortable, but better the discomfort of a friend holding your hand and your truth than the discomfort of thinking you're alone. Before we move on, let me make sure you notice the order of the two parts of this last rule. First, you take initiative, and then you let others take the initiative with you. I can't help but notice that every time I post on Instagram about friendship and the value of doing life in community, I get responses such as these. No one wants to be my friend. No one ever reaches out. I do my part, but no one ever reciprocates. Nobody cares about me. Listen, giving thoughts such as these space in your mind and heart is giving the enemy a free pass. These things just are not true. The irony here is that many of the people you think don't care about you are feeling the very same way. They are worried that if they put themselves out there, they will be rejected. They are frustrated that nobody seems to be reciprocating the care they extend. They are wondering if anyone wants to be friends with them. Which is why I'm begging you, go be the botherer first. Reach out. Take the risk. Say what you're feeling. Listen well. Be the friend you wish others would be for you. A while back, my daughter Kate was out of town with her friend and her friend's family. And when she called me to check in, I could tell by the sound of her voice something was bugging her, that something was off. She'd been that way for a few days, so I took a risk and probed. Kate didn't offer much information but did ask whether it would be okay with Zach and me if she talked to the counselor once she was back. Zach and I are wholehearted believers in the usefulness of counseling, believing that we all need translators from time to time to reflect back to us what we're thinking and how we're feeling, that we all need to hear the truth about ourselves in a safe environment, that we all need space to sort out our deeper needs, and that we all need help applying God's word to the realities of our lives. In short, this was an easy yes. But before you book an appointment, I said to Kate, I want you to know you can always try me. I told Kate that there was nothing I wouldn't have grace for and that there was nothing that could impact my love for her. It took a lot of time and used up a lot of tears, but two hours later, when I was still on the phone with my incredible daughter, I felt more grateful for the power of community than I have in a long, long time. I found a greeting card at a cafe in Colorado Springs one time that featured a sketch of a lovable-looking bear with the words, we were together, I forget the rest. That's how I always feel about that monumental phone call with Kate. The details of what was bugging her have already faded with time, but the feeling of togetherness has not and will not. She was determined to tell someone who could help her. I was so grateful it got to be me. The last two percent. If we want to be free of the chaos, friend, we cannot stay alone in the dark with the devil. We need to be rescuers. We need to choose to gather a team around us. I have a choice. I can be known. Let me tell you what is on the line and the beautiful thing that happens when we let each other in. We have this saying at my home church in Dallas, say the last 2%. Maybe you think you have learned the secret of mastering authenticity. You'll mention your struggle with a sin or fear or an insecurity, but even those of us who value authenticity often have one card that we don't put down. It's the little secret we won't show our families. It's the one we won't share with our friends. It's a card we don't play. Maybe your two percent is that you felt rage at your young children today, or maybe it is a mistake that you made years ago that you have never told anyone about. Let me tell you what it was for one of my friends. Jennifer leads Bible studies in her home in Austin. She and her husband are leaders in their church. They are an incredible couple. They love Jesus, and she's one of my favorite friends. So real. I like her so much because she often is vulnerable with me. But recently, she called to share something she'd been holding back. She told me that over the course of the last semester, she had been attracted to her coworker. At first, it was subtle. He was cute, but I don't know how it happened. I love my husband, and I value our marriage, she said, but I found myself attracted to him. She began lingering after meetings. Then she said, I know this is crazy, and I hope you won't think less of me, but I started texting with him. Then she told me, at IF gathering, I pulled our mutual friend aside and said, I need to lay down the last 2% I'm not sharing with anyone. I need to say it. And then she said it out loud. And here's where it gets crazy. She said, Jenny, the moment I said it out loud, I have never been attracted to him since. Yeah, it's crazy. We have stayed in the dark with the devil, and we have kept our secrets close. We don't show anyone all our cards. Why would we? We think it's not that big a deal. It doesn't mean anything. And I'm not going to do it again anyway. We don't play our last card, and the devil has us in our secrets. But when we say out loud what's in our thoughts— When we reveal our dark struggles, we take them captive and break their power. We test the gospel and allow it to stand. We bring in community. This is how God created us to fight. Seen, known, loved. Let's fight for this.
1: We are only two weeks out from Jenny's new book coming, Find Your People, on February 22nd. It releases into the world. You can get it at Target, Barnes & Noble, Mardell, Amazon, everywhere. Guys, no matter how many times you move, no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter what you would call your friend situation right now, this book really is for you. It's going to give you all kinds of tools and exercises to decide who are the people in my life and how can I go deeper with them and then there's tools for accountability and handling conflict I mean it's the kind of book that we all should have read when we were you know in second grade that we never got so Jenny just so beautifully unpacks scripture and unpacks God's plan for us to live in community so don't miss it February 22nd is coming up soon we can't wait for you guys to read it too thanks for listening to another episode of the made for this podcast. Love you guys.